Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. This is part two of a message that we're doing, Does God Reject His People? And I want to begin by telling you a statement that you already know, right? The best things in life are gifts. They're not obtained by efforts. They are gifts. Now think about this for just a moment. Think about the best things that you have in life, the things that are most important to you, and then really not things. The most important thing in our life is not a thing at all, but rather relationships. You think about when you get to the point that you are on your deathbed. I don't think you're going to say, well, bring my sports car, uh, bring my house, uh, bring all my collections of coins or whatever you have. You're going to say, I want my family close by, right? Uh, Get my wife, get my kids, get some of the people from the church, get some of my friends, and I want to see them. The best blessings are not obtained by effort. They are gifts. Can you imagine if you are wanting to get married and you decide, well, I'm going to get married and I think I'm going to go over here and I'm going to pay this person to marry me. You say, well, that's not really love, right? You know, my wife and I, we've been uh, married almost 34 years. And so I never had to say to her, honey, uh, I want to pay for you to be my spouse. Now, I don't say that it hadn't cost me anything. Uh, It does cost you something to be married, but I didn't pay her to marry me, right? Uh, We would say that's strange. If you got to pay for somebody to marry you, that that person probably doesn't really love you because love is really a gift. How you think about friendships? I mean, what kind of friend would it be if you said, let me give you $100 to be my friend for a week, right? That's not really a friend. Uh, that's buying a relationship, but that's not genuine friendship. Genuine friendship is just born, right? It's just a gift that you have. Somebody said about friendship, and I love this. It's so good to have friends because friends double your joy and they cut in half your pain. Now you think about that for just a moment, right? And you can't pay for that. So the best things are not obtained by effort. The best things that God gives us are relationships and the people that he brings into our lives, our salvation. Well, we're looking at Romans chapter 11. And we discover as we look at this particular chapter that Paul is answering the question, has God rejected people? More specifically, has God rejected his people? Now, as I was preparing for this message, I listened to a sermon by Skip Isaac, and he introduces Romans chapter 11 by telling the story about his first set of encyclopedias that he purchased. It was the 1911 Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, that was kind of like the gold standard back in the day, and Skip Isaac is a little bit older than I am, and so back in the day, Right, You couldn't go to Google and do some research. Uh, you couldn't purchase an encyclopedia and have it downloaded on your computer. You had to buy the volumes, 26 of them. And so he wanted to buy this set of uh, the 1911 version, but he didn't really have the money. And so he looked at a newspaper, local newspaper, and somebody who had been gifted with this brand new set was interested in selling it. They needed the cash. He saw the ad, he made a phone call, and he purchases this 1911 whole 26 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. So as he was studying this thing, he found an interesting statement. It was a statement about the nation of Israel, a statement about the Hebrew language. And this is what he read. 
1911, Encyclopedia Britannica. The possibility that we can ever recover the correct pronunciation of ancient Hebrew is as remote as the possibility that a Jewish empire will ever again be established in the Middle East. Well, if they had just waited just a little bit, uh, they would have discovered that this was not true. Because on May 14, 1948, it happened. Israel once again became a nation. You would think that those who were living in the times that the nation of Israel fell, AD 70, up until the time it was reformulated as the nation in 1948, and it never really went completely extinct. I mean, it was spread about and throughout the world, but it's the only nation in the world that was really done away with, but yet brought back. So when we look at chapter 11 of Romans, God had cast away his people. And and so Paul asked, is God done with his people? And he says, well, certainly not. God is not done with them. And he actually uses himself as an exhibit. Exhibit A or exhibit one would be Paul. Paul says, I am an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then he uses the story of Elijah. And Elijah thought he was the only one that was left. He thought that he was the only one who refused to bow a knee to Baal. But God says, no, no, no. I've got a remnant chosen by grace. I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God wasn't done with the nation of Israel. And then the third exhibit that Paul uses is actually the Israelites themselves. They have this remnant and there's a mystery to this remnant. And Paul says, what the people of Israel thought so earnestly, they didn't attain. But the elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, ears that could not hear, to this very day. So I want to pause here and ask you a question. Have you ever worked really hard for something and still missed out? Maybe you worked really hard to save your marriage, and yet you still experienced a divorce. Maybe you've worked real hard to have good health, and you've exercised, and you eat right, and you try to get enough rest, but yet you still have been given the diagnosis of cancer. Maybe you've worked really hard at work, and you thought for sure because of your diligence and your hard work that you were going to be up for that next promotion, and, and although you worked so hard, you were bypassed. Somebody else got the promotion. Uh, Have you ever worked on a relationship that you wanted to mend and then you worked and you worked and you worked and it still didn't work out? Maybe in a marriage situation, maybe in a personal relationship situation where you worked so hard to get this person to be a friend and it just didn't work out. You ever ask yourself, why? Why can we work so hard and yet things still don't? work out. Well, I found a good few biblical reasons. I got five of them. Maybe one of these five will help you today. If you feel like you're working real hard and you're getting no traction, number one, oftentimes things don't work out even though we work hard because our heart is hard. Uh, We're working hard and, and we're working from a hard heart. Jesus gathers his disciples around and And after he had fed 5,000 with the loaves and fishes, Jesus said to his disciples, 
they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts had been hardened. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that many people will pursue a relationship with him, but it's only for their own purpose. They work real hard to obtain the blessings of God, but they're really not interested in having a relationship with God because their heart is hard. Jesus says, they were just following me because I fed them. I gave them loaves and fishes, and as long as I fed them, they followed me, but they really didn't want to have a relationship with me. They were working real hard to follow me, but they didn't care about me. They only cared about what I could provide for them. They wanted to hand out, but they didn't want to know my heart. There's a second reason why sometimes we work really hard and we still miss out, and that is that we refuse God's mercy. Romans chapter 9, verse 18 says, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And as I read this verse, you may say, well, look it, that proves I have no control of receiving God's mercy because God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens them that he wants to harden. Maybe to get a better understanding of this, we can look at the story in the Old Testament of Pharaoh. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Hey, Mr. Pharaoh, let my people go with 10 plagues. Finally, Pharaoh let the people go. But through that process of going after plague after plague after plague, on some occasions we'll read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But then on other occasions we will read that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Well, what was it? It was both. God knew that Pharaoh had a hard heart. God was showing him mercy. Now, the plagues were really an act of mercy. God is giving Pharaoh an opportunity to get right and trying to grab his attention and saying, the problem is that you have an idol that you have placed before me. That's why your heart is hardened. I'm going to be kind to you by giving you these plagues so that it will grab your attention. Uh, Maybe it's like this, right? If you rescue somebody, and in the process of rescuing that person, you have to hurt that person. I guess it's kind of like if if somebody is drowning, right? You cannot rescue somebody who is fighting you. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to knock that person out, and then you can rescue them. Well, that's really an act of mercy. Because although you may be unconscious because of that blow to your head, it saved your life. Because if that hadn't happened, you would have gone down, the rescue would have gone down. Listen, when you refuse God's mercy, your heart will be hardened and you will work so hard for something and you still won't get it. There's a third reason why sometimes we work really hard and we miss out. And I would call this the pride of self-righteousness. In Romans 9.31, it says that Israel who pursued a law of righteousness has not obtained it. Now, why? When we look at the greater context of those who were pursuing this law of righteousness, I think Paul primarily had in mind the Pharisees, right? Because Paul considered himself a Pharisee among the Pharisees, a Hebrew among the Hebrews. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He actually taught the Pharisees. When he talks about pursuing the law of righteousness, 
He said they never attained it because they were pursuing it for self-righteous means. So they could brag about how righteous they were. You know, it's so hard sometimes for us to identify self-righteousness. Because on the outside, if we're doing a self-righteous act, it can look so right. It can appear so noble. But as we peel away and we look into our hearts, we ask ourselves, why are we doing what we are doing? Are we doing it for the applause of men? Or are we doing it for the praise of God? Well, there's a fourth reason that we can work so hard and not obtain what we're trying to work for. And that is sometimes we're working in ignorance. Romans chapter 10, it says, because they were ignorant of God's righteousness and they sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. In other words, they didn't know God's righteousness because they were so caught up on doing what they thought was right. Romans 11.25 kind of reemphasizes this thing where Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A hardening in part has come to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come. Now this here is a great understanding as to what God is doing in Romans chapter 11. Paul wants his people to know, his Israelite friends, that God's not done with them. He may have set them aside for a short time. God is setting them aside because they were filled with conceit, but it's not only the fact that they were filled with conceit, God actually allows them to have a heart that is hardened, and the reason is is so that the Gentiles could be grafted in. God had to allow for a temporary time the Israelites to reject him so that the Gentiles could receive him. We're going to talk about that later in the broadcast. But in Ephesians 4.18, it says, they were darkened in their understanding. They were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. There's another reason why sometimes we work so hard. Our heart is sometimes hard. We refuse God's mercy. Sometimes we are filled with pride of self-righteousness, and and sometimes we're ignorant as to what God is doing behind the scenes. And sometimes God is saying, I will give you what you want, but not right now. No matter how you work, you're not going to get it right now. Uh, It's a later blessing that you're going to receive in the future. But the fifth reason why sometimes we work so hard and we can miss the blessing that we're striving for is because we have a closed mind. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, Paul says their minds were closed. For to this day, the same veil remains at the reading of the Old Covenant. It hasn't been lifted because only in Christ can it be removed. You ever hear that expression that when a person is not wanting to hear the truth and they have a closed mind, right? And they're not open to what God is doing, and they don't want to hear the gospel, and and they try to outlaw the gospel. They try to put pressure to not receive the gospel. Here, Paul says, so many people have a closed mind. They have a veil that is blocking them from the truth of who Christ is, and it doesn't matter how hard they work. That veil will remain until Christ lifts it up. You know, the best blessings are not attained by effort. 
They are gifts. Gifts that God gives us. You know, when we look at the question, has God rejected Israel? Paul says, oh no, he hasn't. I'm an example where I've been accepted in the family of God. And then there's Elijah. Then there's Israel. They're going to be grafted again back into the family of God. But then there's David. The remnant, as we look at David, is much more complex than we can ever imagine. Let's look at this passage, verses 9 and 10, Romans chapter 11. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forward forever. Now, what exactly is David saying here? Well, let me read the New Living Translation of that very same passage. Likewise, David said, Let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. So here David is reminding us of something very important. This remnant is much more complex than we can ever imagine. Here we discover that God is blessing his people, but then that blessing turns into a trap because they think all is well. So these blessings actually keep them from a relationship with God because they are worshiping the blessing more than the one who gave the blessing. So David says, let them get what they deserve. But David is reminding them that they can have a relationship with Christ. God has extended his offer of salvation, you know, throughout all of Scripture. God speaks so much about our hearts and our heart's condition. But I'm intrigued by one passage in the Old Testament. It's a passage, I guess, that you could say drives a spear of meaning deep into our own flesh and deep into the understanding of our own hearts. In the Old Testament passage, we get a glimpse about how God works in the hearts of men. 2 Chronicles 16.9, where we're confronted with the reality that God is looking for a few good hearts. I love the metaphor in this verse. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. One version, the King James says, the eyes of the Lord run throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Uh, So here's the metaphor. God's perspective, his ability moves throughout the earth, looking for something specific, people that he can strengthen. And he chooses people whose hearts are fully committed to him. Do you want to have a prescription of how you will never get discouraged, never get defeated? Always have your heart fully committed to Christ, no matter what happens. In good days and bad days, when you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, when it's raining, when it's not raining, when you have a lot, when you don't have so much, learn to be content in Christ. Be fully committed to Him, no matter what happens. You will avoid the pitfall of discouragement. Well, there's another exhibit that Paul uses. Paul talked about David, he talked about Israel, he talked about Elijah, he talked about himself, and now he was talking about the Gentiles. Now, this is more astounding than you could ever imagine, right? Romans 11, verses 11 through 21. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Paul's talking about the nation of Israel. 
Have they been so bad and stumbled so far that God says, we're done with you? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. But if their transgression means the riches for this world and their loss means the riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Here, Paul is reminding us of a very important truth. He's telling us that as you look at the nations and the Gentiles being grafted into the family of God, it actually made the Israelites jealous. But if that would drive them back to Christ, then so be it. Let me use a uh, maybe a strange analogy. Let's say a husband and wife are going through a difficult time. And all of a sudden, and this is not something I recommend, I'm just using this as an illustration, all of a sudden, the wife begins to date another man. All of a sudden, the husband is driven by jealousy, and he becomes envious, and he decides that because of this envy, because of this jealousy, he's going to finally become the man that he ought to be, and finally become the husband that he ought to be, and God uses that jealousy to drive him back into a relationship with his wife. Now, again, that's not a good thing, what the wife is doing, but God takes something bad to grab the attention of that husband. God is doing the same thing with the nation of Israel. He says, I'm going to make you envious. You're going to see the love that I have for the Gentiles, and you can say, wait a minute, that's the love that we ought to have, and that envy is going to drive you right back to God. Do not consider yourself, Paul says, to be superior to the other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches are broken off so that I could be grafted in, grafted in, yes, granted, but they will be broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So here we have a wonderful symbol, and that is the symbol of being grafted back into the family of God. You know, olive trees are amazing trees. They are first mentioned in Scripture in Genesis chapter 11. Remember when Noah and the ark carrying all of the animals at the end of the flood, Noah sends out a dove, and first the dove comes back with nothing, but then the dove comes back with an olive branch, which is a symbol of peace to the world. God was now going to give and extend an olive branch to his people. He's going to raise up a great people through Noah. There's something else interesting about olive trees. You know, the center of an olive tree is always hollow due to natural decay. And olive trees can live for a long time, 500 years, 1,500 years or so. Some may even live up to 5,000 years. It's hard because olive trees, the roots never really die. The top of the tree will die off, but the root system will actually regenerate itself and grow another tree. Olives are amazing. Olive trees are amazing. And so God uses this analogy of us being grafted in. In order for us to be grafted in, something had to be broken off. So Paul tells us that God broke off his people and then grafted into his olive tree, all people, Gentiles and, and all people. Well, my time is just about up. Join me tomorrow. I'm going to give you the last point before we get into the subject of 
fasting. I'm going to spend Wednesday's broadcast talking about fasting, why we should fast, some benefits of fasting. So join me tomorrow as we look at that subject, but I'll wrap up this series on exhibits that Paul uses to prove that God is not done with his people. So please join me tomorrow, okay? Well, thank you so much for tuning in. Just before I sign off, if you are looking for a job and you love working with children, we have got a wonderful opportunity with you at Hickory Ridge Academy and our Early Learning Center. And if you will call our church office, 421-7500, we will tell you what areas we're looking for help and where you can possibly plug in. But we're always looking for good people who love the Lord, who love kids. So give me a call. If you can't get through on the church line, leave a message, or you can send a message to me on my cell phone, 252-267-2365. Just tell me you heard about the open positions at Hickory Ridge Academy and that you're interested in possibly working with us, and I'll get you in touch with just the right people. We'd love to have you as part of our team. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. So we'll wrap up this message tomorrow as we're talking about the fact that God does not reject his people and he's got big plans for you as well. So I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557 or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.